You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Always appreciate being you joining us today. And folks, I tell you what, it is an exciting day. I am down in New Orleans for CattleCon 2023, the NCBA's gathering of cattle producers taking place here in New Orleans. And I am not forgetting about the cattle producers across the northern parts of this country grappling with ice and snow and cold, but it is rather balmy here in New Orleans, and we are going to be celebrating cattle. We're also going to be celebrating what makes U.S. cattle so potent on the export market, which is U.S. corn. Folks, as you know, today is the first Wednesday in the month of February, which if you are a regular listener to AOA, you know that's the time we talk to our friends at the National Corn Growers Association for a segment we like to call the Monthly Grind. And that's what we are doing today. Kicking things off first and foremost, we've got Harold Woolley. He's a vice president of the National Corn Growers Association. And Harold, it's got to be exciting to be here celebrating this marriage between beef and corn with NCBA. It is, uh, you know, I have a, a cowboy hat at home, but Mike, I left it home because I was told if you don't own some cattle, you really shouldn't wear that big cowboy hat. That's right. You don't want to be all hat and no cattle <laughs> when you get down with these folks. So we're celebrating and we're educating the, the intersection between cattle and beef. And this is something NCGA has been working on for some time. Harold, let's talk a little bit about the education that you guys have worked on here with NCGA promoting beef. Excellent. Uh, you know, we do the we sponsor the Cattleman Education Series, which brings the latest and greatest industry news to producers. Um, we host learning lounge events at the Angus Convention and at the annual cattle convention here. And Harold, those learning lounge events, we'll be doing one tomorrow. We'll be talking about beef on the export stage because that has been a huge component of the cattle market here over this past years. But it is great to be able to have that inter that interaction between beef producers and corn growers because corn brings a lot to the cattle industry here in the U.S., doesn't it? It, it works both ways. Uh, cattle eat a lot of corn, so we certainly appreciate that. And cattle and corn, is, of course, provides the energy for these cattle to grow. You know, we get some tremendous growth rates for our cattle when they're eating corn. When you come to an event like this, from the corn growers' perspective, is the goal to educate the beef producer on the value of adding corn, or is it just to let them know that corn growers are working hand in hand with them? Well, from my perspective, it's that we're, we want to know, want them to know that we support their industry, that we value their industry, that we're on their side when it comes to, to issues of policy where we can help out in D.C. Um, we truly appreciate the amount of corn that the cattle industry consumes. And how does NCGA show how much you appreciate the, the beef producers here across this country? Well, we try to try to sponsor some events with the National Cattlemen's Beef. Uh, Cattlemen to Cattlemen is a series on RFD TV, and we've participated in that a couple of different times. So. And when you're doing Cattlemen to Cattlemen, of course, we're not just talking to Cattlemen. With that show, Kevin Oxner, of course, reaching a large audience. What was the focus of the National Corn Growers episodes of Cattlemen to Cattlemen? Well, the, the 
the last one was on exports and the value of exports to the beef industry. And of course, that flows through to corn. You know, those cattle that are getting exported eat corn too. So uh, that was the focus of that show. That's true. And then I understand you've also talked sustainability, Harold, which is such a hot topic. It is certainly a topic that's going to come up down here in New Orleans on the beef side, but it matters to corn growers it as well. It certainly does. It matters to consumers. And, and that's the driver, I think. You know, and I look at sustainability as a three-legged stool, people, planet, and profit. And all three of those legs have to be strong to support the, the stool. And, you know, for corn farmers, it's probably a little different uh, than for beef cattle. But yet, the fact that we can sustainably produce our corn and that gets consumed by the cattle is, I think, comforting to those consumers who are concerned about the sustainability of the beef that they eat. It is. And so is are we seeing NCGA work more to educate the consumers of beef on the value of corn in the supply chain? Absolutely. We'd like to see that. We wish uh, every consumer appreciated uh, the sustainability of our corn that they get to eat through when they eat beef. And Harold, I know this time of year, serving as the, the vice president for the National Corn Growers Association, you're traveling a lot. You're talking to corn growers at, at state association meetings across the country. What are you hearing from corn growers as 2023 gets start? What challenges are they, they looking at as the year moves ahead? Well, it, it boils down to our top three priorities. The, the next farm bill, as you know, expires in, in 2023 here, September 30th, I believe. We need to get that across the finish line, the Next Generation Fuels Act, which uh, revolves around ethanol and the ability to consume higher blends, and then of course trade. And that is an issue here at National Cattlemen's as well. I was just attending a, a meeting that had the Canadian uh, group of cattle producers and the Mexican cattle producers talking about trade and the issues that they face. Are there issues coming ahead on the trade front with Mexico? Well, obviously on the corn grower side there is, aren't there? On corn there certainly is. We need to get that fixed, uh, the, the GMO ban that, that is scheduled to come in place here in 2024. Um, from the cattle producer side, they're worried about disease. They want to control all of the different diseases that are out there so that they don't come across borders. Um, very important to the cattle industry. That's the thing. The biosecurity is so vital in 2023 for cattle producers. I, I want to bring us back to education, Harold, because that, that is why we're here. That's why NCGA is here. Part of the challenge reaching farmers is that we're spread across this great country and it's tough to hit them all. But I know NC, NCGA has been working on a podcast, right? Working with the Cattle Call podcast, I should say. What have you guys been doing there? Well, that's an ongoing podcast. And you know, as you know better than I, podcasts are popular. I, I have to believe that people, when they're driving to work, want to listen to a podcast. So anytime we can get our story across on a podcast, I think is a very good thing. That's true. Conversation so far down here, Harold, what have you heard from cattle producers since you've been at the uh, the NCBA convention? Well, the, the drought was hard this past summer on a lot of cattle producers. Uh, the feed availability, the price of hay, all enter into the costs of uh, production for our beef producers. That's so true. There's a lot of folks running around down here, Harold, who wonder if we're going to see corn acres tick up in this next growing season. Do you have any hot tips for us? What do you expect? <laughs> I expect that we're going to grow a few more acres of corn. Uh, you know, the prices are such that that uh, producers are going to want to produce. And, and, you know, that is a goal of the corn industry is to produce enough corn for those who consume it in this country and for exports as well. So 
we'll be we'll be trying our very best to grow a nice crop of corn. That's what it is all about. Harold, while we've got you on the line, before we let you go, if we've got listeners who want to keep up to speed with what's happening in D.C., what's happening on a policy front, Corn Growers Association does a lot of work to that end. Where can they go to keep up to speed on the work you're doing? Well, our NCGA uh, website is the, is the best place for that. Uh, NCGA.com. That's the National Corn Growers Association. We have been speaking today with Harold Woolley. He's a Minnesota farmer, serves as a vice president for the National Corn Growers Association. And Harold, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stay with us when AOA returns in just a moment. We're going to talk with Lance Zimmerman of Rabo Bank. We're going to get an update on that cattle inventory report that was released yesterday, as well as look ahead for his expectations in the beef industry. Stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up from the National Cattlemen's Convention here in New Orleans. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. 
thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Our show continues here from the trade show floor at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We're talking cattle. We're talking the cattle industry and joining us for an update on the fundamentals of that industry is Lance Zimmerman. He's a senior analyst for Animal Protein, works specifically in the beef space with Robo Research. And Lance, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate being here. You know, there is a lot of conversations happening about the beef market right now. And we got a pretty important or a pretty well looked for piece of information yesterday from the USDA, the annual cattle inventory report. Lance, we know this herd has been tightening. How much did this herd shrink in the past year? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, As we looked at going into this year, I think everybody would have told you by the time we get to the January 1, 2023 number, it was going to be smaller. We all saw the headwinds. We all saw the weather. uh, And so the trend was right. The trend was exactly what we would have expected. The magnitude as we portrayed through or progressed through this year, obviously, we started seeing the writing on the wall. It was going to be a pretty significant reduction. And that's what the report told us. The beef cow numbers, the one we all focus on the most, it was down 4%, right in line with industry expectations. But again, compared to what our expectations were a year ago, none of us would have sat back and said, by this time this year, right sitting here today, the cow herd would be back at its all-time lows, or at least its practical all-time lows, and they are. We revisited and actually surpassed by a couple thousand the 2014 lows. So it's the smallest cow herd that we've seen since 1962. Oh, wow. Um, And so... That's obviously weighing on everybody. Everybody's going to sit here throughout this week and talk about how much lower do we have to go before the next rebuild begins. Well, and that is the million-dollar question, Lance. And you have just put out a report. I believe it's your first one with Robo Agra Research looking at this cattle cycle and when to expect the rebuilding to begin. Fill us in. Is this the lowest January inventory we're going to see for the next couple years? We probably have to drift it a little bit lower, Mike. Uh, The reality is you don't turn these things quickly. Just like a tugboat, just like a cruise Mm -hmm. ship, you start making those trends, you start making those directional shifts, but it still takes years to play out. And so as we look at this year in particular, the first thing we always got to look for when we look for a rebuild is what's the moisture prospects? Well, as your listeners know, we're transitioning out of the dreaded La Nina, but it's a slow transition. And as we think about the U.S. cow-calf operations, they need green grass, they need water in ponds for spring turnout. Well, we're going to be neutral in terms of the weather patterns through the rest of this winter and spring, not really transitioning to the cooler, wetter El Nino until the end of the year. So this year's still probably a loss. Not as extreme probably from a liquidation standpoint as this year was, but we're still going to drift this cow herd lower. And I'm here to tell you, we may even see some liquidation into the first half of 2024 as well. So we're in a situation where we're probably going to drift this number lower and not have meaningful expansion until 2025. And that would put us right on track with that 10-year cattle cycle. I mean, my next question to you, Lance, is is the cycle accelerating? 2014 
prior low to 2022 this low, but it sounds like it's going to continue the cycle for the cattle industry in your estimation. It remains really intact. Is. Yeah, you know, the cattle cycle is is almost a colloquialism we take advantage of in the beef industry. Yeah. It's just like everything else. And so I do think that some of the typical timelines do line up. But I do think when you talk to a lot of producers, when you talk a lot of experts out there, everybody's starting to realize the idea that 14, 15, and 16, those first three years of that expansion of this cycle that we're wrapping up now, were wild. I mean, we, we kept so many heifers back on farms and ranches to rebuild the cow herd. The headwinds are totally different. First things first, I'm a bank. Interest rates, right? Mm -hmm. The prime rate that we saw back then was three and a quarter percent. Today it's seven and a half percent. If heifer prices were $2,000 then, and let's say they're roughly $2,000 ahead now, that interest payment is $400 ahead more over the life of that loan today versus what it was then. That's real money. Yeah, I mean, for a, an ag business that we operate around a break even more often than we all like, an extra $400 a cost isn't trivial. Um, and so that's a big deal. The other side of it is we talked about how aggressive the expansion was then. This liquidation has been just as aggressive. Mm -hmm. We liquidated basically 13.5% of the beef cow herd this past year. Wow. That was a new record for culling rate. Jeez. The prior record was 12.5%. Okay. So we broke it by a full percentage point. And that was probably back in the drought of 2012, 2013. It was. That window up yeah. in there. Yeah, we had it then, and, and then we revisited it somewhere in the 80s or 90s. I can't okay. remember exactly. And then the other side of it is we've liquidated a lot of heifers. When you look back at the January 1 cattle on feed numbers, the percent of heifers that are in feed yards, that percentage, record high or near record high. Same thing happened back in the October report when mm -hmm. they gave us that update. There's not a bunch of heifers out there just waiting to become herd replacements. They're not. So those folks who want to start rebuilding those herds, the, the cattle producer, the cow-calf folks I've heard from, they say it's gonna, they're gonna have to reach into those pockets and get those dollar bills out. So let's talk about when this is going to hit. Let's talk cow-calf first, Lance. Yep. We're seeing that excitement in the sale barns today. The cash sales are, are running very strong from what I'm hearing across the country side. Do you anticipate that to stay the case as we get through 2023? That's the million dollar question as I look at this market. When you think about our industry, all the dollars that we share, whether it's box beef prices, whether it's fed cattle prices, whether it's calf prices, those dollars all come from the consumer. And as we think about what's going on today versus the prior expansion, the reason that expansion was so explosive is because the price trend was. Well, we're basically 50 cents off of the all-time highs on beef prices today. We have a consumer that's strapped for cash, stressed out, as you mentioned earlier, and yet we're sitting here today with per capita beef, pork, and poultry supplies, about 220 pounds a person. In 2014, leading up to that expansion, it was about 180 pounds a person. Wow. So we have 60 more pounds per capita, or 40 more pounds of per capita meat available? Yeah. And so... What does that do in limiting the upside at the retail meat case, let alone all the consumer headwinds that we talked about? Right. And so if we can't get an explosive push to beef prices, how do we get those dollars downstream to the cow-calf producer who needs them? So on the beef price issue, you mentioned we expect to see some continued liquidation as you get through mm -hmm. 23, mm -hmm. potentially into 2024. 
carcass sizes, I imagine, going to continue to come down. Lance, beef production as a whole, do you anticipate that trending down for the next year or more? Yeah, I mean, we're going to see a situation where carcass weights have held remarkably strong, even with the high feed price environment. We're going to see going forward how that maintains itself going forward. It's probably going to continue to come under some pressure. We have some short-term headwinds right now with all the winter weather affecting feed yards across Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, and such. But as we go forward, beef production is going to drop about 4 billion pounds. The big drop's going to come this year. Um, 2022, all the way back the last four years, each of those four years were record highs in beef production, each one surpassing the next. We're going to go through a major trend change over the next four years. How do we prepare? I'm a cow-calf producer. I'm looking at elevated prices for feeders right now. I'm excited about the potential to sell some breeding stock for Mm -hmm. some high-dollar prices later on. How do I manage? I think the first thing you gotta do is know your break even, you know, especially in this environment where everything's high. Don't get yourself in a fix where you pay too much for heifers. And, and I like to tell guys that wanna get involved in the mama cow business. You're married to your spouse. You're not necessarily needing to be married to cows. And so let's say it gets green around you. Maybe the first logical step isn't buying cows and leaping in with both feet. Maybe it's buying some feeder heifers. And you mm. say, hey, I'm gonna run them as stalkers here. Make sure these weather trends are actually playing out. If they do, great, I'll breed them. If they don't, I'm just gonna move them on down the chain. So don't get yourself tied into a, a situation that's gonna put you in a financial pinch. That is a great point. And then I'd tell them, watch these feed markets, not just the hay side, not just pasture rent, but also what's going on in corn, what's going on in beans. Because I talked through that consumer dollar pass through. We need the feed yard segment to be profitable because when they're profitable, then demand for feeder cattle and calves is good. If the price increase only comes because we're tight on supply, it's gonna limit the upside potential. The reason 14 was so explosive in the cattle market is because we had tight supplies and exceptional demand. Yes, those consumers could not get enough of beef in 2014, whatever the box values did. And in general, they were protein starved. Yes, so you mentioned in order for these feedlots, in order for these cow-calf guys to see money, gotta have the feedlots being profitable. Lance, is that feedlot profitability gonna be there in 2023? That is literally the single point outside of just weather patterns that I'm watching this year. I think it's going to be tough. You know, you talk to guys across feedlot country, they were made whole towards the end of this year. And as we've come into this new year, they're keeping things held together. They're optimistic through the traditional spring highs that we expect to see this year, March, April spring highs. I think the decline into the summer lows will be more subdued. But the million dollar question is, will they be flat enough coming off of those highs that they can pay for the feed bill? And I think we got to get to a point where new crop corn comes in, we get another maybe leg lower in this grain market to give them a chance. But today, those grain prices look a lot more steady than they do lower through the end of the year. They certainly do. So we'll be watching to see what those planting intentions are as we get into March. And then we'll see how this is going to shake out for those cattle producers across the country. Folks, we've been speaking with Lance Zimmerman, Senior Analyst for Animal Protein there at Rabo Research. Lance, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And folks, stick around when AOA comes back after the break, we're going to talk about what's developing in Europe with Troy Schneider, Market Development Action Team Chair for the National Corn Growers Association. Stick around, more AOA coming up right after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up. 
As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains are mixed to start off the month, generally a slow month for the markets with only the USDA February supply and demand on tap a week from today and not much else in fundamental news. USDA baseline projections have historically been released later in the month, but those are now mostly revealed in November. The month is mostly about keeping an eye on South American weather and production prospects and watching the flow of U.S. soybean exports to China start to slow and transition southward as the Brazilian harvest advances. Today, though, Fed is the word, with the trade anxiously awaiting the 1 p.m. Central Time rate announcement, even though it's almost unanimously agreed that a 25 basis point rise is on tap. It's the following comments from Chairman Powell that will likely hold the most weight. Investors are leaning toward rate hikes, taking a pause after the next meeting, which would probably be another 25 basis point hike in March. But the Fed has indicated that increases will continue until inflation is well under control. Wage inflation has yet to be tamed, despite plenty of positive indicators elsewhere. Stock market futures are indicating consolidation after yesterday's gains, lower to start off the month after a strong finish to January. Corporate earnings results and economic indicators remain mostly strong. And crude oil hit a nearly three-week low yesterday, but rebounded to close higher and is building a bit more on those gains so far today. The energies trade will have a lot to process with DOE weekly inventories ahead just shortly here, followed by the Fed decision this afternoon and an OPEC meeting today as well. OPEC is expected to stick with their current production targets they agreed to in November, but January output came in 920,000 barrels per day below that number, and that's after a 780,000 barrel per day deficit in December. A small decline in U.S. crude oil inventories is expected from the DOE today after five straight week-over-week builds in stocks and a couple of massive ones at that. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Certainly appreciate you joining us today for a very fun episode of AOA. We are at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Cattle Con down in New Orleans, Louisiana. And today we are doing the monthly grind, our monthly focus on the corn market with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And one of the things that we need to talk about, we have been talking about, these conversations will continue over the coming year, is the global interconnectedness of agriculture. The way things happen, sometimes over overseas can impact us here in the U.S. needs to be kept up upon, and that's something NCGA has been doing. Joining us now is Troy Schneider. He's the chair of the Market Development Access Team for the National Corn Growers Association. He's a corn grower and a cattleman outside Cope, Colorado. Troy, thanks for joining us today. Mike, thank you for having us. It's always good to join you. It is always a pleasure to talk to you, Troy. And you get to do some traveling in your role as the Market Development Action Team chair, and you had the chance back in December to travel over to Europe for the US-EU Collaboration Platform on Agriculture. Troy, aside from having a terrible name, what is this US-EU CAP? Okay, the Collaboration Platform on Agriculture, or CPA, it is where the USDA and their counterparts over in the European Union, DG Agri, have gotten together over the last few years. They have put um, their teams together we attended at the end of that week the ninth annual European Ag Outlook Forum. And I think what it is is we, the United States, the USDA, wanted to have a role with the Foreign Ag Service Agency over there as to what was going on. A lot of concern stems around the mirror policy. The mirror policy is, okay, if they're going to implement something in the European Union, other countries need to be doing the same thing so everybody's on the same platform. And that is something we're not in favor of. You know, we talked about it last month. We have our sovereignty here. We have the, you know, we need to be doing what is best for us. We need to be looking out for the environment, but we also are committed to feeding and fueling the population of this world. Absolutely. So that mirror policy, Troy, this would be if the EU makes a declaration, the member countries, the countries that sign on to this platform have to agree to follow that EU policy. And we've seen this create some some tension in the Netherlands. Of course, the Dutch are closing down some livestock operations. What was the sense from the livestock producers in Europe when you were over there presenting the American corn growing science and methodology? Did they understand what we were up to here in the U.S.? Yeah, we ran into a, a farmer from Greece, and he, he explained to us that the farmers over in the European Union do not feel like they are appreciated, that they're wanted, that they, you know, people are too disconnected from their farms. So one of the main things the, the collaboration platform on agriculture focuses on is, at least in my opinion, is how do we learn from what has happened over in Europe to the European farmers? How do we make sure... You know, we're here at CattleCon with NCBA, and NCBA was on that trip. Kent Bacchus, uh, Jacqueline Wilson, Kent Bacchus from NCBA, Jacqueline Wilson was a producer uh, that attended from Alliance Nebraska. What we all came away with is we need to learn from their mistakes. How do we go forward? How do we make sure that those policies don't come over here? We do have those policies coming to the head every once in a while here in the United States, but we have that strong voice within CBA, with NCGA in Washington, D.C. How do we continue to make sure that those 
policies are kept at bay to where we can keep producing in a sustainable, economically fashionable way to where we can feed and fuel the world. Troy, you mentioned some of the policies that come out of the EU are merit watching for mm -hmm. producers here in the US. What are some that you're keeping an eye on from a corn grower cattle producer's perspective that are percolating over um, in the EU? Over in the European Union, when we were there for the CPA, one of the ideas, well, not ideas, but um, topics came up was the, the methane tax emission on cattle and then the reduced use of um, pesticides. And, you know, it, I always have to go back to Jason Hoffmeister with the USDA, uh, an undersecretary there that he presented on the last couple of days, and there was a chart. And if if your viewers could picture this chart, on one side it was the adaptation of uh, herbicides, the adaptation of hybrids, uh, precision agriculture. On the bottom was the timeline. On the other side, it was the production, the the bushels per acre that we've had, the increase we've had. And we could not be doing what we're doing now, feeding the world, if we didn't have that technology. Um, the other day, I was watching a show on RFD TV, and it, it talked about how by 2050, we need to have a 60% increase in production just to keep up with the growing population. That's what we're trying to do with the European Union on the CPA is, how do you balance that? Okay, let's have this discussion. We're not going to agree on everything. We know we're not going to agree on everything, but how do we get to the point where we make sure we feed this world? Do the Europeans have an answer for that question? Is there, hey, we got to produce 60% more food. It's going to take a lot more production in order to do it. How do they propose doing it without technology? Troy, do they have a solution or they're just sticking their heads in the sand is how it looks from the outside. To be polite about it, I did not get that answer from them when we were over there. If they have it, they kept it very close to the chest. Um, but here in the United States, we have to use our technology. We have to adapt new technology for those sustainable goals. You know, NCGA had its sustainability goals set for 2030. We're working on those right now, the reductions, but we also went back in time and looked at where we were in 1980. So we had those numbers, and if anybody wants to, they can go to ncga.com and look up that sustainability report. And I know NCBA has used that report in their, on their behalf because, you know, that's part of their story. They can tell it from one side, but okay, the corn that comes into the feedlot, how do they use that? So that report was very valuable for not only corn growers, but for cattlemen as well. And I want to build on that, Troy, because you were over there with Sarah McKay from the National Corn Growers and, of course, the partners from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And you were presenting the research that's been done here on U.S. agriculture. What was the response from the Europeans as they were looking at the data and the science that we have backing up production here across the United States? Well, at, at times it got to be kind of contentious because... Um, it was at agree to disagree. You know, do your numbers work? How do you, how do you, how did you get to your numbers? The question was asked. And so we have to go back and we have to make sure, and, and at certain points we did. Here's the proof, here's the research we've done to prove these facts out, where we were, where we've come from, and where we're going to go. Troy, there seems to be a gap between agricultural production practices in the U.S. that, that I'm used to confronting mm -hmm. and what I see in Europe. And I don't have much knowledge of European agriculture close at hand, but did you notice that? Is there a gap between the technologies that Americans are using, GMOs accepted, and what Europe is doing on the ground? We took, we took a couple tours on Wednesday when we were over there, and we went to some different research farms. And it was interesting, some of the technology that they're wanting to implement is technology that we have been using. 
whether it's, you know, um, sea and spray, you know, they were, they were talking about it a little bit, but, it, you know, now you see John Deere coming out with it and other companies coming out with it and it's, it's going to be here. And, and the one thing I'm excited about as a corn farmer is the fertilizer, the infurrow fertilizer that some companies are coming up with where they're dropping the fertilizer just right with the seed, not all the way through. So not all six and a half inches or whatever, however your population is. And so different things there. Um, I'm looking forward to the opportunity when the USDA returns the favor, has them, has the European Union, DG Agri, and their, our counterparts come over to the United States. I want to make sure to take them out to farms. You know, the USDA, the our universities can be there, but let's go to actual farms and ranches and have the actual practices that we're doing put on display. And, you know, I think it'll speak for itself. Troy, if that is to happen, if the USDA holds a meeting here, we bring these Europeans over, how many do you imagine of the group would be farmers who would understand what they're looking at? And how many in the European, this type of ag are, are more bureaucrats, might not be familiar with what's happening on the ground? Well, Mike, that's an interesting question. And I'm going to turn it back to the United States and the USDA, too. Um, I mentioned Jacqueline Wilson with NCBA. We were the only two producers in the room. There were 30, there were 30 spots. So of those 30 spots, NCBA and NCGA got creative and figured out, you know, we're going to bring producers along. We were supposed to be limited to one person per organization. So Sarah and Kent would have been there. But we went as producers, you know. The days we were there, my tag didn't say NCJ, it said corn farmer. And, and Jacqueline said flying Diamond, uh, flying Diamond Wilson Ranch in Alliance. So that had to get creative. So I'd like to see U.S. Grains Council, USMEF, other organizations, uh, soy, bring producers along. Maybe it's not 50-50, but maybe it's 20, 20 people from staff and 10 producers. That way we get that message across as to what's actually going on the farm. And I'd like to see it reciprocated on the EU side. Bring some farmers over. Right. Don't just let it be the staff members or the bureaucrats in DG Agri. Does NCGA have European farm group partners who are, are willing to accept the science behind European Ag who are pushing on that side for the Europeans? I think there are those partners out there. Um, I'm, I can't get into the list of who they are right now. But uh, yes, there are those industries out there that, you know, we're working with other farm organizations that need to, you know, push back on the Green Deal, the farm to fork, because the way that's going, it'll limit or eliminate the production agriculture as we know it over there. And we can't afford, you know, we always say that 95% um, of the world's population lives outside of the United States. Well, you get over there. It's 90%, and it just, it, those numbers can be turned backwards a little bit, but the bottom line is there is a great number of our, of our world population that lives outside of both of our borders. That is so true. We got to keep them fed as we watch these changes in Europe. Maybe it could be a benefit for American cattle producers, but those ideas that are circulating, we've got to keep tabs on. Folks, we've been talking with Troy Schneider, Market Development Action Team Chair with the National Corn Growers Association, corn cattle producer at Cope, Colorado. Troy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Always good to be here. Folks, stick around. We're going to talk to Dean Meyer about the export potential for beef looking ahead to 2023. Stay here for more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. 
Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. AOA continues here today from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Cattle Convention in New Orleans, Louisiana. We've been talking today about the intersection between corn and cattle and the partnership that that has created and the global reach that has created in moving American products around the world. And that's what we want to end the show with, looking at that export potential. Joining us now is Dean Meyer. He's chairman of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Rock Rapids, Iowa boy, cattle, hogs, corn, and soybean producer. Dean, thank you so much much for joining us here today. Thanks, Mike. It's been great to be here and uh, looking forward to the conversation. You know, I want to kick it off. Dean, you are a farmer from Iowa. Why in the world did you get involved with the U.S. Meat Export Federation? What value does that have to you on the ground? Excellent question. As a, as a producer of uh, corn, cattle, soybeans, and pork, with 96% of the population living outside the borders of this country and the fastest growing middle class internationally, international markets are going to be a key to our future and uh, raising corn raising cattle um, that's the combination makes us the highest quality product in the world and we want to put that that on the world's table and that's what the world desires I mean with a growing middle class they want protein they want high quality protein and uh, what better market can we fill but taking taking cattle to their markets and taking uh, you know, the high quality cattle carcasses. Absolutely. And Dean, as we look back at the results in 2022 on the meat export side, it looks like that growing middle class stepped up to the plate and they made some purchases here of U.S. protein. We saw, it looked yeah. like we're going to see record, record exports this last year. Yeah, it, it's, it's exciting. The, the international cattle beef sales. Uh, after 21, we had a, we had a record year in 21, and little did we know that 22 would be a better year yet. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna touch close to 12 billion dollars worth of product on the beef side, and you know that's 450 dollars every carcass. Every you know each time I load out cattle from my feedlot, I think of that 450 bucks 
is attributed to international beef sales. That's incredible. That's just what the demand on the global market, that's the pressure, the upward price pressure it puts on domestic beef prices, putting dollars into the pockets of American cattlemen and corn producers. And Dean, this is something I think we're, we don't talk enough about. When we're saying record beef exports, that's another way to move a lot of corn off our shores, isn't it? That's exactly right. Sell, selling red meat is, is good for corn producers because it's the number one market. I mean, livestock's the number one market for corn. And if we can move more red meat, it's a win-win for for the corn. And 12% to the tune of 12% of the value of the bushel. So if corn's $7, that's 85 cents. It yeah. adds to a bushel of corn just marketing red meat. That is real money. And then when you see how that corn works inside a beef animal to create that meat, I mean, as a, as a corn-fed beef fan myself, I'm a huge proponent. And Dean, I understand you had the opportunity to travel back in September to Japan, which has long been a premier destination for U.S. corn-fed beef. Are the Japanese excited to continue that going forward? Japanese market is a mature market. It's it's an exciting market. I. You know, we always hear how the demographics is aging and they're not going to buy as much and they continue to buy more. It's because of the product we sell, the corn fed U.S. high quality product. And they they continue to buy more and more of it. And not only the primal cuts, but the variety cuts and, and the variety meats. And that's what really adds value. We don't think about the variety meats as Americans very often. We don't see them on our plates. But Dean, as you mentioned, they, they add value. That's substantial value, isn't it? to the tune of $60 a head is what variety meats add to the so carcass of a beef. Of so. that $450 value that exports add, 60 of that is variety meats. 60, Am I getting that right? 60 is variety meats and $18 alone, it comes from tongues sent to Japan. Wow. I mean, the Jap Japanese buy over 20 million tongues from us a year. 90% of our tongues go there and, and it adds $18 value to every carcass we market here. That's incredible. When you think of beef tongues, that's a, that's a premium product I just recently learned in Japan, isn't it? It is. I mean, that's the place to eat. If you're going to eat tongue, go to Japan and eat it. They know how to do it. Interesting. When we think about variety meats, for a lot of folks who are outside the cattle business and they are tuning in today, what are some of the variety meats, Dean, that, that we're moving overseas? <laughs> Examples of the variety meats are the tongues, the liver, the heart, the tripe, um, you know, and then there's some of the underutilized cuts, you know, the chuck and some of that that we're, we're able to market in um, a variety of countries. And, and another thing, we talk about Japan, but the key to the success of USMEF is it's broad-based. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we're, we're in markets all over the world. We've got 18 offices around the world, and that's the key is you don't you, – you, you sell the carcass in the market where it has the most value. You know, whether that's the Middle East, whether that's Japan, whether that's South America. And Dean, in your experience, when you're working with those car carcasses that have the most value, I've got to imagine it tends to be the grain-finished cattle carcasses, doesn't it? That's that's what's really selling our product, is the grain-finished. And um, we're promoting that more and more, and the success rate of that's been phenomenal. That's, that's why our sales were where they were in 21 and 22, is because... You know, we're the we're the highest producer of grain-fed grain product in the world. Absolutely. Well, Dean, as an Iowa cattle producer, of course, you're at that intersection of corn production and cattle growth. Are you excited about 2023 here as we look to the future in this volatile cattle industry? I am. There's going to be a huge opportunity there. There's always, there's always challenges. We, we know numbers are going to be down, but it gives us the opportunity to sell them variety meats, them underutilized cuts. Since they're grain-fed, they're higher quality than anywhere else in the world, even the underutilized cuts. And then with uh, China emerging from COVID and changing their COVID policies, you know, six weeks ago, 
their food service is opening up. We think there's a huge opportunity there the second half of 2023 with uh, with a food service in China. Because food service in China basically has been shut down for almost three years, hasn't it's, it? It's been shuttered. And, and, and look at the product we've sold in there with shuttered food service. We think there's going to be a revenge buying coming back. When those people can go back and go out to eat again, there's going to be opportunity there. All right, Dean, anything producers ought to be doing now to prepare for that return of the Chinese buyer? Should we be loading up on some feeder calves? Well, continue to produce the high quality product. I think, you know, we there's going to be opportunity. Let's let's not get down on the numbers or where we're at in the cycle. I think there's there's going to be huge opportunity ahead. There's going to be huge opportunity ahead. Folks, I think that is a great place to end today's episode. We have been talking with Dean Meyer, chair of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dean, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. It's been good to be here. Folks, tune in tomorrow to AOA. We'll be broadcasting from the Christian Hansen booth. And if you are on the grounds in New Orleans, come by the Learning Lounge tomorrow at 1230. From 1230 to 130, we'll have this meat export conversation right here in New Orleans. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.